Matt, Matt says this about Colossians, our, our lead pastor. He says, Colossians is about how the lordship of Jesus plays out in all spheres of life. Colossians is about how the lordship of Jesus, how him being king over us, plays out in every area of our life. Because so often we, uh, uh, we compartmentalize our lives and, and we say, well, Jesus is Lord of Sundays or Jesus is Lord of, if, 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 you know, if he's lucky, Lord of my weekend. Uh, but the nine to five, the grind, the in and out, well, that's something separate. Our play is separate. Our sexuality is separate. Our money is separate. But we want to say that, no, Colossians, what Colossians teaches is that Jesus is Lord over every area of our life. Abraham, uh, Abraham uh, Kuyper, this, uh, he was a statesman. He was uh, uh, the prime minister of the Netherlands. He was a theologian. He said this. He said that there is not one square inch in the entire universe where Jesus does not cry out, mine. The world is his. And Colossians shows the, the, the depth of this and the height of this. And what we want to do is we want to see every, we don't want anything from you. We want everything for you. And we want what God wants for you, which is to be conformed to the image of his son. So in that spirit, I want to read uh, Colossians 1. The text may be a little small behind you. So there, there are Bibles in the back if you need them, or, or you can pull out your smartphones. But I'm going to read the text. Uh, we're going to be starting our series from chapter 1, verse 1 to 8. Cha- uh, not chapter 8, verse 8. So if you can join with me. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it, is, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epiphras, our beloved fellow servant, He is a fellow minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Father, we thank you now for who you are for us in Christ. We thank you that you have not left us as orphans, but you have adopted us as sons and daughters. And Holy Spirit, now I pray that those who are far from you would be drawn near and that you would help me to forget the things that will not be helpful for your people but that you would help me to remember those things that will be uh, uplifting to your people, that would encourage your people, that would rebuke your people where needed. That you would all bring us closer this day, even now, we pray, to the kingdom and to the image of your beloved Son, we pray, in, in whose name we pray. Amen. I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine two people, very, very similar people. Twins, in fact, let's say. And let's say these two people were given the same job, some menial, t- some, you know, data entry or something like that. And each day from nine to five, they had to go into the same office, same lighting, same temperature, everything was the same. And they both had to just do data entry all day. But in contract negotiations, one person was able to get about 15 grand per year. The other person 
was able to secure $15 million a year for doing the exact same work. And you can imagine them getting together during lunch and, uh, you know, the, the, the person uh, making 15 grand will go to the person and say, hey, you know, this job is pretty it's menial, it's boring. And the other person you can imagine saying, oh, it's, 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 it's all right, you know, it pays bills. It's not that bad, is it? What's the difference there? The difference is their hope, their end, what they are hoping for at the end of the year. One person is hoping for 15K. The other one's hoping for 15 million. And what we need to understand is that we are shaped by what we hope for. We respond to life. We respond to pressures. We respond to our, uh, our experiences by what we hope for. So if we're going to make Jesus Lord of every area of our life, we need to make it clear what our hope is. Tim Keller says that we are hopelessly hope-filled creatures. You cannot not hope. You cannot not have a hope in something. Glenn Tinder, who was a, a, a professor of political philosophy at the University of Massachusetts, says this. He says, hope is as necessary to life as light and air. Now we read that and we say, yeah, that's pretty profound, pretty deep. No, 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 listen. Hope is as necessary to life as light and air. So, I want to take us through the reality of hope and what Colossians 1, 1 to 8 tells us about what hope is, what we should be hoping for, and what hope does. So first is, what is hope? What do we, where do we find hope? And finally, what does hope actually do? What's the, what's the purpose of it in our lives and in our world? So hope. John Piper says this, hope is, this is the best definition that I wanted to come up with, hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. But usually, when we think about hope and when we use the word hope, we use it in a vastly different way. We're not so confident about what we hope for. You know, we hope the weather is going to be good. We hope that the blues win. And they did. We hope for all the, we, you know, we hope that this person gets traded to this team. We hope all these, but we don't know. That's the point. We don't know. But biblical hope, hope as it is used in the scriptures, is not so much what we don't know, but what we can confidently expect and what we confidently desire for what is good for something in the future. We hope, and how we hope is how we live. How you hope is how you shape your years, and how you shape your months, and how you shape your weeks, and how you shape your days. What you hope for, whether you realize it or not, whether this hope has been uh, explicitly spoken of, whether you have actually sat down and, and said, hey, what do I hope in? Look at your life. Reverse engineer, and you'll see what you hope in. And how we hope is how we live. But the question is, how do we, where, where do we find hope? Where do we actually find hope? Where do we find, how, how do we shape what we expect and what we desire? There's one way, and it's to find it in our created reality, our created uh, uh, world. See, we've made this mistake a couple hundred years ago. We began to think 
that we can equate reality with experience, with sense, with sense data. What we can touch is real. What we can taste is real. What we can feel is real. What we can see and touch is real. We've made this mistake that we, we equate reality with sense data, what we can touch, taste, smell, feel. And the question is, is that all there is? So naturally, with that mindset, with, with believing that what is real is only what we can touch or taste or smell, well, naturally, what we begin to hope in is what we can touch, taste, experience, see, feel. But it's, uh, there's a problem with that. Your experience. Your own experience is a problem with the idea that we can confidently hope for what we can taste, touch, see, feel, our own experiences. There's a deep problem with that. And, this, and you know, a, a Roman poet by the name of Horace, 20, you know, uh, over two centuries ago, he said this. He, he says, no person, no man is contented. None of you in this room, including myself, we're not living in such a way that we don't want to change anything in our life or in our world. No one lives contented. We continually live in this flux, this change where we are being propelled forward in time by what we hope for, by what we hope to change in ourselves, in our significant other, or in the world. We are hopelessly hope-filled creatures, and we continually chase Whatever it is we think it is. Whatever we think it is, whatever we think will finally bring peace to the world or will bring peace to my soul, we continually chase. And this could look vastly different for each and every single one of you. One is uh, education, right? Which is a good thing. A lot of us think, if I just get that degree, if I just find the right school, if I just find the right university, if I just find the right postgraduate program, then finally I will make my mark on the world and finally I'll be contented, I'll be happy, I'll be settled. Or it's a relationship. Some of us are so incredibly starved for relationship that we elevate it to become our it. That if we have it, finally I'll be happy. And if you've been married for more than like a week, you know, this person comes at you. It's like, who are you? Why, why aren't you fulfilling every single desire and dream that I've ever had? And we know. You laugh because it's true, but you know that if, our, if relationships are our it, it's going to fail you. Money. Pull out your bank account and see the digits roll. And listen, you will be discontented with that. Or maybe you think, if I finally own a home in this volatile uh, 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 Sydney situation of home buying, then finally, once I see my name on that deed, then I'll be happy. Now, I have a friend who, many years ago, his, uh, his girlfriend at the time broke up with him, and he was over the house, and he would just say, yeah, if I could just have her, if I could just have her. So he had her, got married. If I can just have an apartment that I own. They bought an apartment. Oh, if I can just have a bigger house. 
They're in a bigger house. Oh, if I can have a, 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 a wood fire pizza in the back, then finally I'll be happy. Over and over, and I've been walking with him for, for 10, 10, 12 years, over and over. It's always, if I get that, once I become partner in the firm, once I have that corner office, finally, I have it. And how do we respond then to the fact that continually, over and over, we're let down? That everything you hoped for to make you finally and fully happy has let you down. What do we do with that? Two things. One generally is reserved for younger people. And we think, well, yeah, right now I'm not happy. But soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm in my 20s, I'm in my 30s. It's to come. It's there. And you know what we are? We're little children. I have kids. And I don't know if in Australia you have a cookie jar on top of your fridge, but in America, where I'm from, that usually happens. And, th and, and th this is our experience generally. We, are, we will risk our lives. Have you ever seen a two-year-old trying to get something? It's ridiculous. I mean, they have no sense of safety. They will risk their lives to get something. And they crawl up, they'll put a chair on some stairs and put a cushion on top of it. They'll climb, and surprisingly, they do it. They put their hands into the cookie jar, and what do they find? Nothing. Nothing. And you have been climbing and climbing and climbing and putting your hand in the cookie jar, and what you find, it evaporates. Because everything that we've hoped for cannot satisfy this deep existential itch that we have in the middle of our souls. So what do we do? We just find a new it. My marriage isn't working out. But that younger one over there, that's where I'm going to be happy. If I just get a younger wife, if I just get a better car, if I just change careers, finally I will be happy. Finally, that itch will be scratched and I will be contented. So we just switch our itch. Maybe it's the hundredth millionth dollar that I make. The other thing we do is we get incredibly distracted. Incredibly distracted. I mean, if anything marks our age and our culture, it is that of distraction. Did you know, and this is a, a mixed blessing, did you know Pokemon Go? <laughs> Hold on. Last week had more hits and more downloads than pornography. <laughs> that, that, that is a great thing. Twitter's been out for 10 years. And last week, Pokemon Go has approached the amount of downloads that Twitter has had in 10 years. Tinder. Pokemon Go has even succeeded Tinder. Now, this is what I want to say, and I'm not hating on you. If you want to catch Pikachu, that's cool. That's fine if you want to go to the gym, become a trainer, you know, buy tea. That's, that's fine, but this, is, but this is the point. We find things in our world, in our created order, that we try to fill a void in. And if you have been paying attention to any of the commentary around Pokemon Go, it is uh, some of the expectations are, of per are just humongously disproportionate to an app. I mean, people are saying this, that it's going to bring communities together. And it's going to bring healing. You laugh. It's true. This is what people are saying about this. Why is that? I was thinking, why? 
Why are 28-year-olds just going, you know, you know, there's communities that are just lit now. They're just open at night because they're, they're trying to catch these things. And listen, again, catch all 250, that's fine. Go for it. But what I'm saying is that what people are placing their hope in to heal their communities, to heal their hearts, to heal something that is missing is an app. Seems weird to me, a little. No weirder to what I think is going to heal my own itch. No weirder than that, but weird nonetheless. So we become distracted. The other thing we do, and this tends to be older people, is we, we finally notice it's a hoax. It's a hoax. The cookie jar's empty. So we become bitter and unbearable to be, to, to be around. And I tend to gravitate towards that person who we say, I've trusted in this and it's failed me. I've trusted in this and it's failed me. I've trusted in this and it's failed me. The cookie jar is empty. It is a hoax. And then when we become bitter, we become proud because we look at you young people. And we say, look, look what they're doing. They're trying to climb that bridge, get that cookie jar. Fools. So we become bitter. We become judgmental. We become proud. We become callous. And we kill a part of ourselves that hoped. We kill a part of our humanity that hoped for something better, hoped for something more, expected something good. C.S. Lewis said this. It's a long quote, but I, I ask you to bear with me. He says, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country, Kantiki he's talking about, or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. I'm now not speaking of what would be ordinarily called unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learned careers. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. There was something we grasped at in that first moment of longing which just fades away in the reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife, and the hotels and the scenery may have been excellent, and, the che and chemistry may be a very interesting job, but something has evaded us. He continues, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. But our worldview, our, our sense says there is no other world. But is there? Paul, from verse 3, I'm going to read. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. And what we need to understand is that we need hope. We, you cannot live without hope. The question is, what hope will endure the struggles of this world and the fear of death? I mean, did you know that you were going to die? Newsflash. Nobody will be here in 100 years, maybe 80. 
a couple of kids maybe. Do you get that? Do you feel that? Do you feel the reality of your own mortality? And the question is, what is going to get us through this road, this world, into and past death? And Paul here clearly says these things. He goes, your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that he, he thanks God for these things. Why do they have them? Why do they have faith in Christ? Why do you, Anchor Church, have faith in Christ? Why do you have love for one another and for this world? Why? Because of the hope laid up in heaven. Viktor Frankl, if you've never heard of him, he was a neurologist, an Austrian neurologist and a, a, a psychiatrist who lived uh, through the Holocaust. He, was, uh, he, he survived the death camps. And being who he was, he watched people all day for many years, and he came up with, with three types of people. He goes, there's three types of people that, that uh, the death camps bring out. One, people just turned evil. Some men just became traitors. Two, other ones just shriveled up and died because what they were hoping in was taken away. And three, there were people who knew there was something outside of this created reality that they hoped in that got them through. And here it says how... Are we going to have faith in Christ? How are we going to have love for the saints? How? How do we live life in such a way that Jesus is Lord over all? How? Because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. If you're hoping for anything this side of eternity to make you contented, to make you finally and fully free and happy, it's going to fail you. And some of us will have to learn the hard way. Some of us just don't believe what I'm saying. Some of us just don't believe that this is true. And I'd love to talk to you in 50 years. Some of us think heaven, really? Heaven. And so often, for so many years, I have read this passage as saying that heaven is our hope. That somehow there's going to be this mass exodus of Christians and one day we will exit the earth and, and heaven is our hope. But notice, notice this. There's a preposition there. In heaven. I'm going to read that again. It says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And what's heaven? See, heaven for a lot of us just means I'm finally going to be pain free. Or I'm finally going to be reunited with my loved ones. That's heaven for us. We think heaven is a place of <clears throat> flourishing and, 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 and uh, shalom and peace. But let me tell you this. Heaven is heaven because of who's there. If you had all of your ailments cured and your heartbreak cured and your friends there and your pets there, if you had everything you ever desired, and Jesus is not there, that would be hell. But we don't, we don't see that. We don't, we don't believe that. We don't, we don't taste that on the palates of our hearts because it's Jesus who will satisfy you. It is Jesus who is our full and final hope. And if Jesus were not in heaven, 
heaven would be hell. So our hope is not heaven per se. Our hope right now is laid up in heaven. He is in heaven right now, seated on a throne, ruling and reigning. And even when we don't see that in our lives, even when we definitely don't see that in our world, he is. And one day he's going to come and correct all the wrongs and exact justice. Heaven would not be heaven if it were not for Jesus. Good theology is not our hope. Right doctrine is not our hope. Pain-free bodies is not our hope. Knowing that one day our depression will be healed in, uh, for eternity is not our hope. Knowing that you will be looking at the face of Jesus, your, secu- your, 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 your love, your true love, your hero, your friend, your brother, that's our hope. And that is what is laid up in heaven. Which has... Which has come to you, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it, is, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So love is this secure expectation of being with Jesus for eternity. We know that the world offers us many different types of hope. And yet we know by our own experience that it fails us. And it's in the gospel that we get God. It's in the gospel that we get Jesus. But what does it do? One, as we we read there, what does hope do? Hope multiplies and it grows. That's what hope does. Hope is infectious. As we see that throughout the early church, the gospel was just exploded. And even today, so often, we're given this narrative that the gospel has been silenced. And that's because our media is not in the world where the gospel is flourishing. The gospel is not dying. The church is not dying. The church is growing and exploding all over the world. And you need to know that because when you know that, it's going to fill you with hope and it's going to help you to remember to thank God when you pray for those churches. When you pray for those churches. But the other thing that hope does is it issues out in love in the Spirit. Our community, listen guys, our community, this little community of Anchor will not be sustained if we don't have hope. But some, some of you may be thinking, okay, hope in heaven. You know, thinking about that world, thinking about something, wouldn't that make me irresponsible in this one? If our hope is in heaven, if our hope is in Christ, and one day we will be with him, what do we do here now? You know, people will often say that people who are too heavenly minded will be of no earthly good. I want to draw you again to C.S. Lewis. He said, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. And I'll get back to, to the rest of his quote, but listen to me. What the gospel does, it doesn't just change your heart, although it does. 
The gospel changes societies. The gospel is to, is to uproot and change the sinful structures of our world. And that's why the gospel is not just private. It's personal, but it's never private. And that's why last week is so, was so important for me and for all of us, I feel, when we think about our work, because our work is where the gospel goes out. And our societies are changed. C.S. Lewis continues, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought about the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, you're going to get neither. So this hope isn't just for us to buckle down in a bunker and just think with our Christian friends and say, okay, let's just wait. Let's just wait. No, 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 no. The, the gospel sends us out because the gospel multiplies hope. And the gospel uh, 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 is, is, is uh, shown by love in the Spirit. But how then now do you get this hope? Hope is expecting and desiring good things in the future. The world offers us hopes that continually get dashed on the rocks. Our hope is the gospel. Christ given to us through the gospel. And it issues out in multiplication and in love in the Spirit. But how do you get this hope? How do we go from where we are now, knowing that whatever we're hoping in in this world will crash in on us at some point, to getting this hope of the gospel in Christ? It's this. It's by realizing and tasting on the palate of your heart that the most hopeful person who ever walked on this earth became utterly hopeless. Do you get that? That the most hopeful person who ever walked on the face of this earth became utterly hopeless. On the cross, while Jesus was naked, beaten, bruised, dying, we often think maybe that he, he did a little play acting up there, that he was cool, calm, collected, but, you know, he just wanted to show that he was suffering. You know, he, he had an Old Testament in his back pocket. Psalm 22, my Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? And we think, oh, he was just saying that. He was forsaken. And if you know anything about the Old Testament... That means he was cursed. He was abandoned on the cross. He looked to God and saw nothing but wrath. He was completely and utterly hopeless. And it's because he was hopeless on the cross that I can have hope. That you can have hope. That our societies can have hope. That sinful structures can be turned into structures that honor God, that institutions that continually push marginalized people down. See, we often think the gospel is just personal, and it is, but it's never private. And the gospel changes everything, and it's in this hope because Jesus was utterly hopeless. 
and heard the, the, the silence of condemnation, that you and every single one of us can walk out of here, even before you walk out, you can stand up from your seats and sing to a God who knows your pain, who knows your struggle, who knows what it feels like to be hopeless. And some of us here, I know, experience depression and anxiety of all different sorts and of, across the spectrum. And you need to know this, that Jesus on the cross experienced the deepest form of alienation and hopelessness. And therefore, now, he offers us his life and his hope. And this hope is multiplying and it's going to issue out in love and the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, oh Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for who you are in Christ Jesus, for us. We thank you that because of the gospel of hope that is spreading across this world and was spreading across the world of Paul and of Epaphras and of the early believers. Because of this hope, we are secure in you. We are your sons. We are your daughters. And I ask now, Lord, that anyone who came in here trusting in anything that has been created to fulfill their existential itch, to scratch it, to, to, to make them finally and fully happy. Help them to realize that Christ is our final and full hope. And in that, Lord, we sing. In that spirit, we pray. And in that spirit, we say, thank you, Jesus, for becoming a curse for us, for becoming hopeless for us, so that now we can make you Lord over every, every year of our life. And we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name.